Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome on this Palm Sunday, whether you're joining us online or here in person. Uh, This is the beginning of Holy Week, as Blake was mentioning earlier. This this time uh, every year where we turn our minds and our thoughts to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus And so we're in week uh, number two of a three-week series that we're doing called Graves to Gardens. And what we're doing is each week we're looking at uh, Friday and then Saturday and then, of course, Resurrection Sunday next week um, of the the Jesus death and and resurrection. And so today, what we're going to be looking at today is Holy Saturday. And to be very honest with you, completely truthful, I have actually never preached a message in all the years I've been preaching on Holy Saturday. I've never talked about the events that happen on Saturday. Uh, Holy Saturday is that space and time between Jesus' death on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday morning. And if you think about it, uh, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, All of our lives here on this earth could be thought of as living in Saturday. So so we are, in in a sense, living right now, our lives here on this earth, between Jesus reconciling death for our sins on the cross and our resurrection someday into his eternal kingdom. And so the question we're asking this morning as we look at this, as we look at what the Gospels have to say about Holy Saturday, is we're asking the question, what good is Holy Saturday? What good is sitting in the grief and the sorrow of Saturday? Where does that get us? One of my favorite places on this whole planet is Mount Rainier National Park in Seattle, Washington. And I I had some friends who, who had gone out to Mount Rainier and talked about it years ago. And so somehow I sort of became obsessed with Mount Rainier. For many years, uh, I actually have watched documentaries on Mount Rainier. This is totally nerdy, but it's actually true. I've looked at like tons and tons of pictures that other people have taken of Mount Rainier. I, I know facts, lots and lots of facts of Mount, Mount Rainier, such as Mount Rainier is 14,410 feet tall. Uh, what makes it so unique is it rises out of sea level elevation. So there are other 14,000 foot mountains, but they, they all rise out of other elevation around them, mountain range or, or whatever it is. But because Mount Rainier is a volcano, it rises out of nothingness, and that's why it's so massive. It's so big that it actually creates its own weather patterns. There are distinct climate zones around the different spots of the mountain. That's how big it is. So on the south side of Mount Rainier, the paradise side, it gets 57 feet of snow a year. To put that into perspective, we get six feet of snow a year here in Grand Rapids, and we think that's a lot. On the eastern side of the mountain is this like arid, dry spot where like the precipitation never quite makes its its way down to it. And then on the western side of the mountain is this ancient rainforest. It's actually called the Grove of the Patriarchs, 
where these trees, it's been there for about a thousand years since the time of the last eruption of Mount Rainier. These, uh, because it, the climate is so unique, this like rainforest area, these cedar, red cedar wood and Douglas fir trees grow to 250 feet tall. It's the biggest those trees get anywhere in the world, right here at this one spot on the western side of Mount Rainier. I, I could go on and on and on. I could talk to you about the Wonderland Trail, the 93 miles of trail to go around it. I, I could nerd out forever and tell you these are facts. I know lots and lots and lots of facts about Mount Rainier. But in 2015, I got the chance to go to Mount Rainier. I got the chance to actually travel to Seattle, Washington, and I got the chance to spend a couple of days at Mount Rainier National Park. And so I actually took this picture. This is a picture I took of Mount Rainier from Reflection Lake. Now, if you go online, you can find lots and lots and lots of, uh, of people's pictures of this exact spot from this exact location. This is my picture. <laughs> I took that picture right there of Mount Rainier on the way up. Uh, I went to the Grove of the Patriarchs on the western side of the mountain. These are those gigantic trees I was just talking about. I touched those trees I took selfies with those trees, but I, that, those pictures are embarrassing, so I did not put those up here for you. I actually touched these incredible 250-foot-tall Douglas fir and red cedar wood trees. And then, uh, during my time there, I hiked up on the south side, the side that gets all the snow that I was telling you about. I hiked up to Panorama Point, which is the highest point you can go up on that side of the mountain without, like, gear and a guide and all that stuff. And so go ahead to that next picture. Uh, as I was hiking up, there's so much snow. I should tell you, as I was hiking up on, on this particular day, I was dressed in shorts and sneakers because I am a planner. Uh, I, I don't know why I did this. I'm literally walking up and as the snow gets above, like to about mid-calf, I'm looking at other people walking down. They've got boots and snow pants and, you know, ski poles. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it to, to Panorama Point. But I'm like, but I'm on Mount Rainier. It's been all these years I've been looking at these pictures, studying about this. I'm like, I can't just go back now. And so I kept going. When the snow got up above my knees, I rededicated my life to Jesus. <laughs> when I got all the way to Panorama Point, I'm literally numb from the waist down. And I took this picture from Panorama Point. And let me tell you what's so special about this picture. I took it. Um, on a clear day on Mount Rainier, and there are not very many clear days on Mount Rainier, um, especially, you know, being near Seattle and everything, but this day it was clear enough that looking from the south side, you get these rare days where you can actually see Mount Hood in Oregon, a state away. And I don't know if you can see it, but right there in the middle, that's Mount Hood. I could actually see it on that day. It's an incredible day, a life-changing moment for me, because there is a huge difference between knowing about Mount Rainier and actually knowing Mount Rainier. There's a huge difference between knowing about facts about Mount Rainier. You can go Google and you can know all those facts I just shared with you. And, and there's a difference between that and actually knowing and experiencing Mount Rainier. And really, that's what Holy Saturday invites us to see in the gospel story. Holy Saturday invites us to understand that there is a difference between knowing about the cross and actually knowing the cross. There, there is a huge difference between what the disciples knew on Thursday and what the disciples knew on Saturday. They knew about the cross on Thursday. 
Jesus talks about it again and again in the Gospels to his disciples. Even on Thursday night, he says it again and again. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the Jewish leaders. I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be crucified. They knew about the cross. But on Saturday, they knew the cross. Saturday has lived through the pain and the suffering of Friday. On Saturday, they'd watch Jesus die. They'd watched him pour out his life in this ultimate sacrificial act of love given for all of us. They'd experienced it. They'd, they'd known it firsthand. In the same way, as, as we think about our relationship with Jesus, especially this week as we head toward Easter Sunday and the cross, there is a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. There's a huge difference between knowing about the fact that I have sin in my life uh, and I even feel guilty about that sin. There's a difference between knowing about that and, and at the same time knowing the forgiveness of Jesus, that every single sin I will ever commit, past, present, or future, even the ones I haven't even thought of yet, have been reconciled and forgiven personally by Jesus on the cross. For me personally... There's a difference between knowing about the fact that I have cancer in my body and tomorrow I will go into the hospital for another round of chemotherapy. There's a difference between knowing about that and knowing tomorrow when I walk in that hospital the presence of Jesus as he walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death. Those are two very different things. One is to know about, the other is to actually know. It's it's one thing to know about faith, theoretically, intellectually. As I've discovered most people in West Michigan know, uh, because we've grown up in such a church culture, if you've grown up around here, most people know about faith or know intellectually, have an understanding of what faith is. There's a difference between that and knowing the peace of God that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Those are two different things. And what Jesus wants for us, what he wants for his disciples, what he wants for every single one of us watching online or here listening to this right now this morning is he wants us not to just know about him. He wants us to know him, to actually experience him every moment of our lives. He wants to be invited into the deepest places, our deepest wounds, our deepest struggles, our deepest uh, celebrations. He wants to be known by us. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at two characters in John's gospel on Holy Saturday who where you can really see this transformation from knowing about Jesus and knowing about the cross to actually knowing Jesus and knowing the cross. And actually there's only 20 verses in all of the gospels about Holy Saturday. Maybe that's the reason I've never preached a sermon on it before. The gospel writers just don't have a whole lot to say about uh, Holy Saturday other than just in the context of Resurrection Sunday. But in John's gospel, you find these, this account of these two characters. And so I think we're going to see ourselves a little bit in them today. And so this is John 19, starting in verse 38. It says this, Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. 
With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So, this, there's these two characters in this story, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Now, if we could, I just want to give you some background. I want to talk about these two for just a moment, because we've met these two before in John's Gospel. If you read through John's Gospel, they both appear before this moment on Holy Saturday. Joseph of Arimathea was part of the Jewish ruling council. And so he would have been present and part of the group of people that Jesus confronts in John chapter 12. Joseph of Arimathea, he knew about Jesus. He's seen him. He'd heard him. He knew about him. Nicodemus is, you can find him in John chapter 3. He's the, the one who famously comes to Jesus at night because he's, uh, he's wanting to remain secret. He's wanting to remain hidden. And he comes to Jesus because he's curious and they have this fascinating conversation about what it means to be born again. Nicodemus knew about Jesus. It doesn't say anything really happened. No, no major transformation happens in, in John chapter 3, but he knew about Jesus. And so the question is, well, what did Jesus say to them when they encountered him? What, what did they hear when they encountered Jesus? And so I'll tell you, in John chapter 12, when Joseph of Arimathea uh, was there while Jesus was speaking to the other Jewish leaders who believed in him but wouldn't publicly confess it. G this is verse 32 and ver verse 33. Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And John tells us, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So John hears Jesus talk about that. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus and Jesus are, are meeting at night, Jesus tells him, verse 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So you know what Jesus talked about both times that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus encountered Jesus? He talked about the cross. That's what he talked about. He talked about how when I'm lifted up, he's talking about his death, I will draw all people to myself. And to Nicodemus, he says, when I, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and when, when people look to me, when the Son of Man is lifted up, they will have eternal life when they look to me. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his death. But now, it's Holy Saturday. And Joseph and Nicodemus, they haven't just heard about the cross. Now they've experienced it. They watch Jesus die. They watch their own people hand him over to be crucified. And, and apparently it's this love of Good Friday, of, of seeing Jesus actually lay down his life and give up his life on Friday. It seems like that's the thing that has finally transformed them. It's finally brought about this change in their lives where they don't just know about Jesus, but they actually know Jesus now. You know how we know? Because of what they do. And that text that we just read a moment ago, 
Joseph goes to Pilate as a member of the Jewish leading council. He goes to Pilate and he asks Pilate if he can take down his body, Jesus' body. Essentially, he comes out as a disciple to, of Jesus to Pilate by doing that. He goes public and, and confesses Jesus as, to be a follower of Jesus in that moment. Nicodemus comes in broad daylight, right before he was always at night. He comes in broad daylight with Joseph of Arimathea to take down Jesus' body. And he brings 75 pounds of spices, myrrh and aloes. Now, why is that important? Why did John feel like we needed to have that detail that it was 75 pounds of spices? The reason is because there's only, there's only one kind of person that you would use that amount of spices for. The average was about five pounds of spices. That's what you would use in this time to anoint a dead body for burial in Jewish custom. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds because the, you would only do that for someone you believe to be royalty. They give him the burial of a king because that's who he is to them now. He's become their king. He's become their lord and so this moment of transformation, basically what they do is, is they go public with their faith in Jesus. But there's more. There's another detail here in this text, which scholars talk about and debate all the time. It has to do with the language. And so uh, three times in this text, John references the body. Literally talks about the body of Jesus. Uh, it says Joseph asks for the body of Jesus. And then it says he and Nicodemus remove the body of and it says, they took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with spices in linen cloths. So it's the body, the body, the body. It's not until finally they get him completely wrapped and the spices applied and they lay him in the burial tomb that finally it says they laid Jesus there. They finally name him Jesus. And so scholars have had a heyday of talking about why, did, why the, the difference in this language? Why does John say the body, the body, the body? And then finally, when they lay him in the tomb, finally it's Jesus and they, they say his name. Uh, well, there's all kinds of different ideas of why, but I'm going to tell you why I think, because I'm the one preaching the sermon this morning, so I guess you get to listen to me and what I think. <laughs> Here's why I think it's the body, the body, the body, and finally they name, when he gets in the tomb, finally it's Jesus. It's because that's true to human nature. That's what we do with traumatic events in our lives. When we experience trauma, we seek to depersonalize it. We seek to create some distance between ourselves and it. We talk about it in terms that give us some kind of separation, some kind of space. We do, we do this all the time. We do this even as a society. Uh, this past summer, when, you know, the, the demonstrations and the protests were happening uh, around our, our nation, you know, regarding the racial unrest that, that happened over this past year, uh, I was probably like many of you, I was heartbroken to see just how some of these events became violent and, and, and some of the property damage and the things that had happened. I was disgusted to see just the way in which people were being hurt by this. But I, I would watch and I would see, and again and again and again, this phrase kept appearing. Oftentimes, you know, graffiti in, in some urban area or, or somewhere, it would be like this mural painted. And this is the phrase that you, you saw. I know you guys saw it too. Say their names. And every time I would see it, it would like stop me. It would create this like visceral response for me every time I would see it. It became like an emotional thing every time I saw it. Whatever I was th my thoughts were, whatever judgments I had, it would just sort of stop me. Say their names. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, 
Breonna Taylor, victims of racial violence. Why? Why do we need to say their names? Why did you see that everywhere? Why, why was that the cry, say their names, say their names? It's because when you do that, it, it, when you say their names, it becomes personal. It, they become human. These are not issues. These are not subpoints in some debate that's happening. These are human beings, real people who lost their lives. There's something about it. Say their names. That's what Joseph and Nicodemus are doing. That's exactly what's happening in this story. That's why the language changes like that. They're making it personal. They're taking Jesus' death personal. You may not realize this, but as a member of the Jewish ruling council, as a leader in Jerusalem at this time, both of these guys would have had servants. Lots of servants, many servants actually. They had people who could have gone and, and taken Jesus' body down from the cross. They had people who could have brought 75 pounds of spices. Servants could have gone and done that. Servants could have taken the linens and wrapped Jesus' body and laid it in the tomb. They could have sent their servants and gone do it. That's not what they do. It's Joseph and it's Nicodemus personally going with their hands, with their own hands, taking Jesus' body down, applying the spices, wrapping the linens, placing his body in the tomb. And by the way, the reason that, that John keeps saying it's the body, he's reminding us it's a dead body, it's a dead body. Why? Because when John, or I'm sorry, when Joseph and Nicodemus touch Jesus' dead body as Jewish men, they now are declared what? Unclean. And they don't care. We're doing it anyway. Do you see it? He's become personal to them. His death on the cross isn't something they just know about. It's something that they see and they perceive, this was for me, and he is my Lord. So if I have to be declared unclean, whatever, I'll do it. And they go personally, and they take his body down. This was like their way of going public for Jesus. It was their way of identifying with him. It's very similar to how baptism works for us. Next Sunday, right here where I'm standing, there's going to be what we call the holy horse trough up here. Our, our baptismal uh, filled with water, and we're going to celebrate baptism next week. And for centuries, Christians, when they make Jesus personal, when, when we go public with our faith, uh, to, what we do is we enact this, this ritual of baptism. You may not realize it, but baptism is basically identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what it is. So, so when we go down the water, just like Jesus died and was buried and put in a tomb, we're saying, I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to me trying to fix it myself and prove myself. And when we come out of the water, just like Jesus rose from the grave on Resurrection Sunday, it's saying we're part of this resurrection. We, we have new life in him as well. It's taking it personally. It's, it's going public in a way that says, I'm part of, of this with Jesus I love what Billy Graham said. He said, Christ not only died for all, he died for each. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross, yeah, yes, while it was for all of us, it was for each and every one of us. Jesus' death on the cross was every bit as much for you personally as it was for me, as it was for Joseph or Nicodemus or as it was for anybody else in this room. He died for each one of us. And so the invitation that, that we have as we look forward to Holy Week, as we, as we begin 
this next week as we look uh, on, on Palm Sunday, and as we think about what does Holy Saturday invite us to think about, uh, the invitation and the challenge is take it personal. Take Jesus personally. What does it mean to actually take him personally, his death on the cross? Because we don't oftentimes realize this, but Jesus' death on the cross, it paid the price for my sin, but that actually isn't what saved me. Hear me say this. This is so critically important. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for your sin. Every sin you will ever commit, past, present, or future, but it's not what saves you. You're saved when you take his death and his resurrection personally. I was saved when as a teenager, I knelt, and for the first time I was at a youth group retreat with this youth group, and I'd, I'd started going to church sometime that year before, and I remember having this moment where I prayed. It was like the first time I ever prayed, and I just said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I recognize that you died for me, for my sins personally, and if you can make something out of my life, if you can do something with my life, it's yours, you can have it and I confessed him as my Lord and Savior, that's the moment I got saved. It was the moment when I took him personally. So what does it look like for you to take Jesus personally? Do you want to know about the promises of God for you? Or do you want to know the promises of God for you? Do you want to actually experience life in Jesus But for some of you, that's going to mean salvation. It's going to mean actually confessing him as Lord of your life. There's so many people who grew up in West Michigan, and you may be one of these people. You were in church growing up, and you you know about Jesus. He's, He's impacted your life. But salvation is saying, Jesus, I'm I personally, I want you to walk with me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. It's, it's one thing to be impacted. It's something different to be transformed. Some of us, we want Jesus close. We want him in the background somewhere. We want to know about him, but we don't want him close enough to where he actually can change something in our lives. Some of you, maybe you're saying, well, I already did that years ago. I took Jesus personally. Here's the question I would ask you from that time to this moment right now, has your relationship with Jesus been growing and becoming more and more personal and more and more your own? Or the longer you've known Jesus, has he become more impersonal? Have you just known more and more and more facts about him? So Jesus says, I want you to know me. There's this whole life when you entrust yourself to Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want the peace of God that passes all understanding to be yours every single day. I love what Paul said in Philippians 3, 10, 11. Paul said, I want to know Christ. Not know about Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is why Christ followers during Holy Week, oftentimes they'll, they'll fast. You'll, you, you, some, you've heard this, you've seen people do this. They'll fast from something from the week to draw closer to Jesus. They'll pray. They'll go to a Good Friday service. They'll invite their friends or their neighbors uh, to come with them. They'll read the gospel accounts of Jesus' death and resurrection on Holy Week. What are they doing? They're trying to make it personal. They're trying to draw near. They're trying to remind themselves again, this was for me, for my life. take him personally. 
I'll close with this. Uh, when I was in high school, I had this really good friend and she and I are still good friends even to this day. And we were part of this group of us in high school. We just became really close, this like tight knit kind of group that I was a part of. And I'll never forget the first time I went to my friend's house and I met her parents. And I was, it was like a few of us, we came over to her house. We were there to like watch a movie together or something. And so I remember meeting her parents for the first time. And the weirdest thing happened when I met her parents, they began to talk to me about her brother. Like they just began to talk about her brother and they were talking about him uh, like in the present tense, almost like he was just right in the next room. Oh yeah, you know, he likes this, he likes that. You know, he does this, he, does, he doesn't do that, he likes that. And I mean, to the point where I literally remember kind of like looking around, like, is he, is he over there? Is he in the other room or something? And the reason this was so weird is because I didn't know my friend had a brother. She and I were, had become really good friends. She never talked about her brother. I thought she was an only child until that moment right then. And what was happening there in that moment with their family, I, I kind of found out later, is that years before this, her brother had been killed in a tragic boating accident. It's a beautiful day, family's out on the lake, the sun is shining, they're in a boat. And a drunk boater, just hammered, blinded, drunk, just comes flying across the lake at top speed and smashes into their boat. And so mom and dad and daughter survive, but they literally watch their son, their brother be killed right in front of them. He literally dies right in front of their eyes and they have to be rescued. And so how do you deal with something like that? For my friend, she just didn't, she just never talked about her brother. She just moved on. She just didn't talk about him. He just never came up in conversation. But for her parents, what do you do when your child is literally killed right in front of you and, and there's no moment, there's no goodbye, there's no chance to, it's just done, it's over. But what you do is you talk about him all the time. And you talk about him as if he's in the next room, as if he's right there because you're, you can't get past it. I didn't have language for it back then. But what I would tell you was happening in their family today is I would say they were stuck in Saturday. Every day felt like the day it just happened. Every day felt like the moment he was taken and they can't get past it. We can't get past it. Some of you are stuck in Saturday. You're stuck. Every moment, every day feels like the day you lost them feels like the day that they left you. Every day feels like the day you got fired, the day you got the news that you were diagnosed, the day that it happened and you're stuck. You don't know how to get past it. You don't know how to keep going. Here's the hope of Holy Saturday. When we take Jesus personally, when we let him into those places of our lives where we are stuck, in Saturday, when we allow him to be with us and to be actually the one who carries us through those times, he transforms our Saturdays into only something temporary because that's all Saturday could ever be when you know Jesus personally. It's temporary. It's a passing moment because Sunday is coming. Resurrection is coming and nothing can stop it because of what he did and because of what he won for us on the cross. We look forward to a day 
when all the tears will be wiped clean, when everything will be restored, when everything will be put right in this new kingdom. And so Saturday is just where we are for right now and it doesn't last forever. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning we journey to the cross. We bring our deepest wounds. We bring our Saturdays. We bring the places where we're stuck in life. And we just bring it to the foot of the cross, our deepest sins, everything. And we just say, Jesus, we want to know you. Like Paul said, we don't just want to know about you. We want to know the power of the resurrection. We want to know what it means to participate with you in your sufferings and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. We want to know your life, Jesus, living through us and in us. And so Jesus, for each of us, would you show us what it means for us this week to take you personally? For some of us, that means baptism a week from today. For some of us, that means surrendering to you afresh and saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. For some of us, that means saying, I don't just want to know about the promises of God. I want to experience the promises of God. I don't want my neighbors just to know about God. I want my neighbors to know God. Show us what it means to take you personally this week, Jesus. We come to you. You're the only safe refuge in our world and in this life. And so we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are putting us back together again and putting this world back together again in new creation. And we look forward to that day in the midst of our Saturdays. And in Jesus' name, everybody said.